0: Some other things up, so just doing a little experiment here. If you uh, turn in your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter one, we're going to uh, begin uh, an extended time in the book of Philippians. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a fitting book for the times, and, and we'll talk more about why and how it, it speaks to our culture in, in, in future weeks. But this morning, I just I want to uh, I want to take a look at Philippians and address uh, just one broad. Area and, uh, and and look through the book, and so we're going to read uh, starting in, in verse twelve, and we'll we'll read a section, and then we'll pray, and we'll we'll turn to the application of God's word. Philippians chapter one, verse twelve, Paul writes and says, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." He writes this uh, from prison, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my punishment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. It is still January. We we have that feeling of it being a new year. And a new year holds new accomplishments. It holds new opportunities for faith as there will be new challenges. And Lord, we are called to live by faith not only when times... Are bad but also when times are good, when the temptation is to look at ourselves and say, "We are doing great." Instead, as Paul has said, our attitude and our focus ought to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is our life. Father, I, I pray. As we gather here this morning, we've all come from our individual lives, and some of them are, are, are going great, and others uh, we're struggling. Some of us are, are feeling healthy, and some of us are feeling sick. Some of us are doing OK financially, and others are struggling. Some of us are, are doing great at work, and others are feeling not so great. Some are surrounded by those who support them, and some feel alone. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, and you would help us to see Jesus, to see him as the gift that he is to us, and that that would change our perspective That no matter where we are, no matter what our situation, whether we have much or little, whether we are in need or we have plenty, whether we are struggling or whether we feel that we are doing well, that we would look to you and look to what you give to us in Christ and we would say thank you and we would see him as our life. Lord, we pray that you would change and challenge our perspective We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Philippians is a book that I believe has a lot to do with our perspective, the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at the Christian life. And it challenges us to change our perspective and our attitude. Uh, Perspective is not just uh, something that you need to know about when, when you're drawing. Um, if, you, if you Google uh, Change Your Perspective, there are something like 16 billion results. Uh, it is astounding the number of articles that I found when I was uh, just looking for uh, basic insight on changing the human perspective. Okay, so what I did was I threw all the website stuff away and I don't care about it because it was a lot of just motivational mumbo jumbo. It was like change your perspective and I'm like I'm looking for an example here not just positive self-talk. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I was thinking when, when does a perspective change really matter and when have I experienced one? Uh, when I got on the plane to, uh, to, to come home from Ecuador, I was tired, right? You know, and, and you kind of get on the plane and you know, I usually sit down and I put on my headphones, and I put on music and I wait until everybody's on and all the hustle and bustle and I wait to taxi out, you know, and I just, I wanna go home um, when, I, when I get on a plane. Uh, but then they interrupt you and they say, please turn off your headphones, you know, please pay attention for this helpful announcement. Right? And they go through the, the terrifying flying instructions, you know, like how to deploy the raft, you know, and and where your life jacket is located. What? Uh, and, and I'm sitting there looking and I'm I'm tired. Right. I've been traveling all night. And so I'm thinking like, OK, this is the plane that's going to go down. You know? it's, I better pay attention because uh, it's going to happen. You know, like I, I need to pay attention. And the lady uh, who was giving the instructions, so not engaged, you know, just kind of like doing the. You, you, you've seen this stewardess if you've flown fly on a plane before. You know, they got the belt and she's like, mm, you know, like fastening it and unfastening it. And, um, and then they said, you know, that, that you make your way to the nearest exit. And I looked forward and it was like, I don't know, it's like 10 rows. And I think, man, in, a, in, in normal. Times when you land. People jump up and they crowd. Why do they jump right up? The minute the plane stops, everybody gets out of their seats, you know, and they're all standing there and they're unlocking the bins and then they stand there for like 15 minutes until they open the door. Gotta, Gotta be first, you know, first off the plane to get to the carousel to wait a half an hour for the luggage, right? And then she says, it's possible that the nearest exit might be right behind you and I turn around and there it is it's right there I didn't even notice it coming in change of perspective there was also a guy sitting in my seat when I got onto the plane I walked on and I walked over and I'm looking at my I'm looking at my ticket and and my ticket my boarding pass is like my security blanket at this point right if you're, you know I know where I am supposed to sit 21 seat that is my seat it's an aisle seat I like the aisle seat because I don't like to wake people up and say, could you please move because I need to walk to the back of the plane. I want to be able to get up and just do what I want to do when I feel like getting up. I don't want to have to wait for somebody. I don't have to wake somebody up. And so there's this guy sitting in my seat and I said, that's my seat. He looked at me and he was just nasty as could be. And I thought, man, I could have done that better. He moved across the aisle to his seat on the other side of the aisle. And then another person came and showed him her ticket and said, you're in my seat. And He was nasty to her. And I thought, it's not me. Changed my perspective. It's not me. It's that guy, right? It's him. Uh, the Christian life has an enormous amount of, there's an incredible need to have proper perspective on what's going on. If we're not careful, we can embrace the idea that if we're just good enough, then God will bless us. Or if we just get on the right track and stop sinning, then God will let us into heaven. Uh, many times this this kind of, of thinking can cause us to lose perspective on what's going on and we then encounter difficulty, whether it's within our family or difficulty financially or difficulty at work, and we think, I'm doing all the right things. Why aren't things better? Why aren't things different? What's interesting is in the book of Philippians, Paul's perspective is one of a believer who is trusting in the Lord and believing that what the Lord says is true, no matter what his circumstances are. This is easier said than done, but Paul helps us to understand the importance of keeping our eyes in the right place and having the proper perspective. If you recall uh, from, from the book of Acts Maybe you know this, maybe you don't Paul was the first one to go into Philippi And to share the gospel there And when he went with his friend Silas They went and they preached the gospel And they got thrown in prison right? And they were stuck in prison And instead of complaining And being upset about what was happening to him After he had been beaten Paul and Silas sang praises to the Lord In the prison in the middle of the night why? Because they had done what they were called to do, and they believed that they were safe and secure in the love of God and the will of God, and they were exactly where they were supposed to be. Now, it's interesting. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, and they sang praises to God. Paul writes the book of Philippians again in prison, this time in Rome and his emotion is exactly the same one of joy and excitement what the book of Philippians teaches is that the Christian view of the world is dramatically different from the world's view of life our view of life our perspective ought to be dramatically different knowing what we know Christians should have an unusual attitude toward life because of what we know. I'd like to look at four areas this morning in Philippians where our attitude ought to be different as an overview to kind of root us and anchor us in the content of the book as we look through it. A preacher by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter, who I had never heard of prior to studying this text, he was a graduate of uh, the Baptist preacher Spurgeon's college in England, although I think that Spurgeon had died by the time Baxter went through. He said that in each chapter there is a key verse or a key thought that kind of root and grounds the, this idea of, of attitude. As we look at the book, Paul does what he normally does. He greets those who he's writing to, and he wishes them grace and peace from the Lord. And then he prays a wonderful prayer in verses 3 through 8 of thanksgiving for them. And then he talks about what he is praying for, and then gives them an update and a progress report on himself. Right? I am in prison I am surrounded by rivals, and they are out there now, and they're saying that I've been thrown in prison for some reason, maybe because I'm not preaching right or doing what's right. But he then says that he doesn't mind because the Lord Jesus is being preached. And then he speaks in verses 19 through 26 about his future deliverance. Paul's perspective is off of himself. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, if if we were jailed for our faith, would be obsessed or focused on the wrongness of that. that. That our fixation would be that we have been guaranteed that we have certain unalienable rights, right? And that it is not permissible for us to be put into this position. Instead, We ought to be delivered. And yet Paul in change says this in verse 12 of chapter one. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Oh, no. Paul has been taken from us and thrown in jail. Our 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 father in the faith, our brother, our encourager. He's not free. This is bad for the church. Right. This is going to be bad. He's our guy. What right do they have to jail him? He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He has lost his freedom. He has been thrown into prison. And he says that the gospel, the good news about Jesus is taking a step forward. Two steps forward, actually. He's got a, a good angle on this. He says, okay, I'm not out among the Gentiles going from city to city starting churches and preaching about Jesus and, and seeing people come to faith. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. But what has happened is that, is that the imperial guard, the people who are in charge of guarding prisoners, the government the judicial uh, wing of the Roman Empire that, that makes judgments, they're now all of a sudden all aware that I exist and that I am in prison. And they're asking, why is he in prison? And then they hear the gospel. They hear the good news. Well, what was he saying? Oh, he's saying something about how God expects everybody to live a, a, a righteous life. And, 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 and then he says people can't do it and that they're all... They're all sinful, and they fail, and they, and they break that, those, those rules. And so they, they can't be righteous. But God sent his son to live this perfectly righteous life. And then having lived that righteous life, he went to the cross. He died as a sacrifice in the place of the person who, who puts their faith and trust in Christ. So a sinner can look to Jesus and receive his righteousness because the sins have been put on Jesus. And they can be right before God completely and utterly forgiven of all sins. That's what he's saying. And then people are probably like, they threw him in jail for that? What's up with that? That's weird. You know, and then they start talking about it. People are coming to Paul and they're like, wait, what do you teach? What are, what are, you, what are you saying? Later on in the book, he's going to say, many people among the guard became believers. Why? Because, because the word was, was passing through. People thought, man, we can't win without our guy. You know, our quarterback has been injured. That's it. Our season's over. But what it says in verse 14 here is, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They realized, can't always depend on Paul. Can't just let that guy do it. Because if they put him in prison, then no one's going to do it. So we need, to, we need to speak out. Think about it. Paul is looking at the mission and and what it is that, that God is doing in the world. And he's saying, I'm out of the game. I'm jailed. But this is good. Because these are things that are happening. There were some people who were celebrating the fact that Paul was in jail because they didn't like him or they didn't like... The way that he, he preached, they didn't like some of the things that he was teaching. And so they were like, man, Paul's in jail. Now we have an opportunity to preach. That guy. It says in verse 17 that they do it out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but to anger or frustrate him in prison. He says, that doesn't bother me. Verse 18, what then? No. Self with that. So what do I think about that? I think this. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. Paul was taken out of action, and now all these fakers, people who were hating on him, were out there now preaching, and he's like, gospel's going forward. This is good. So he says, I'm rejoicing, even though I am locked in this cell, even though I am chained. He says in verse 19, I'm I'm sure that I'm going to be delivered. It's my expectation that God is going to release me and let me go. But he says, no matter what, this is in verse 20, with full courage, now as always, he wants to see Christ honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Why is he able to have this Attitude, despite the fact that he has been deprived of his freedom? Why is he able to maintain this mindset? The answer is in, I believe, the key verse in chapter 1. Verse 21 says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He'll go on later, and he'll explain the fact that he lives because of the work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ given to him. And when he dies, he, know that, he knows that he will be at peace with God. He will be uh, at, at union with God. He will be in the presence of the Lord because of the righteousness of Christ. And so to live is to live dependent on the, the, the power and the goodness of Christ. And to die is to receive the full reward of following him and to be at peace with God. God And so he says either way it is good, whether he lives or dies. So what do Christians need to focus on and think about in order to have this kind of perspective? Many of us have an external focus that focuses on our circumstances, on what's going on right now. And we read into those circumstances the approval or the condemnation of God, right? We, we, if, if things are going well at work or in our family or financially or emotionally or whatever, then we say, God is pleased with me. But if things are bad, then we say, God is displeased. I would, I would challenge you with this. If this is... If this is something that, if you if you dig away at some of the, the 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 layering or the wrapping paper or whatever it is that you put around this worldview to shield yourself from admitting that you think this way on a regular basis, I would challenge you with this: thinking that our circumstances are affected. Thank you so much. I love hot water. It's my favorite a hot summer day. Thanks. Um, Thinking that, that, that God's goodness toward us depends on what we do, or thinking that his condemnation of us depends on what we do, is not the good news. That's not the good news. The good news is that we are saved, Ephesians says, by grace... Through faith, not of ourselves. It's by grace, not because of our works. We are saved and we are secured and we will ultimately one day stand in God's presence righteous because of works, but not because of our works. We'll stand in the presence of God one day and say, we are righteous and free from sin because of the works of your son. And so the Bible says that we are saved by faith from first to the last, right? That, that belief in Christ results in God saying, this one is righteous. And then we live our Christian life in the power of the Spirit. Why is the Spirit in there? Because Christ has made us righteous and now the Spirit dwells. And one day we will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Why? Because we earned it? No, because He is good and because He promised that it would be so. We are saved first to last by Jesus' work on our behalf. This sustains Paul in the middle of difficult circumstances. And yes, he struggled. There's a, there's a passage in the book of 2 Corinthians that says that they were so afflicted at one time while they were on their missionary journey that they despaired of, of life itself. It means they were so sad that they wanted to die. He they, they struggled. But over and over he returned to this idea that Christ was his life, his focus, and that he could look at his circumstances and trust that God was in control and that God was good and that he was exactly where he was supposed to be because he was walking in the will of the Lord and so two thoughts on this one if you are living on the fence as a Christian right? if you're, if you're living in the, uh, this, this zone of I trust Jesus to save me, and then I work really, really hard to stay saved, right? And, and, and if things aren't going well, then I try harder. Like, I double up on my Bible reading, or I, I pray twice as long, you know. Or if, if something went wrong, I, I, our first thought is to think, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't have a quiet time this morning, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't give enough money, or I haven't done enough good things, right? You know, if, that, if that's the way that you're thinking, then I would encourage you this. Put your faith and trust in the gospel. Put your faith and trust in the good news. The good news is this, that God holds out life to us and says, believe it, receive it. He pays for the whole thing. He accomplishes all the work. We just have to to go and grab it. We just have to receive it from him. He declares us... Righteous, He will empower us to live in a way that is holy. And one day he will transform us into his image. Christ is our life. And because we are in him, we can rest secure in difficult circumstances. That involves a change of attitude and approach. Second area to think about is we ought to throw away language that says I must do this and instead replace it with language as we think about our circumstances that say I get to do this. I am in fellowship with God and therefore I have an opportunity to share the gospel. I have an opportunity to be salt and light. At work, I have an opportunity to learn more about him in the scriptures. Instead of always being oriented about the fact that we are bad, right? The good news about Jesus is this. We acknowledge at the very beginning that we're bad, right? We say, I have a serious defect that is going to separate me from God for all eternity. And then the good news is this, that it is taken care of. Completely and utterly taken care of. And now we need to walk in the spirit and say, how do I follow? And instead of feeling condemnation and struggle all the time, we then say, what does the Lord want to do with me right now? What is it that's in front of me today? What am I I called to do? How does the Lord want to use my career or my life or my words to glorify himself and to love others? And go and do that. All of the actions that are required to save us have been accomplished already by Christ. Now we're able to live in a way that shows that we love God and shows that we love others. We're free from the condemnation and the struggle of having to accomplish it because it has been accomplished. Christ is our life. Second Observation is that Christ is to be our mind. He's to be our mind over and over in the book. At least um, let's see one, two, three, four, five, six. At least seven or eight times uh, there there is uh, the, the the repetition of Greek words that, that talk about attitude or mindset or thinking. Mind is is and the way that we think about life is a is a key focus of the book of. Philippians. In the second chapter, we're encouraged how to live. We're encouraged to think in a specific way. (coughs) Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 1 if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and Sympathy, if if you've received any of these benefits from the good news about Jesus, then verse 2 he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I realize, and, and maybe you realize this too, that I don't really have a—I don't really have a problem with treating myself the way I think I deserve to be treated. You know, um, if I want to eat a donut, I eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't eat stuff that I hate. You know, I don't—I don't—I don't look to, to torment myself with the things that I put in my mouth. You know, I'm like. I like this and I don't like that and I am not eating that because I have eaten enough stuff that I don't want to eat, you know? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat myself well here. I don't put on music that I hate, you know? I put on music that I like because I like it. And when my kids get in the car and they're like, can I hook up to the Bluetooth? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And they put on music that I don't like. I say, change it. Why? Because I'm driving and I don't want to listen to it. I don't have a problem with treating myself well. And I think a lot of us don't have that problem. The problem that we have is elevating others to the place where they are as significant as we are. Where we treat them like we treat ourselves. Paul here says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, So we, we, we're, we're, we're called to take a step down and to be second class or second rate or something. Is that, is that what he's saying? No. What he is reminding us here is he's saying, built on the truth of the gospel that Christ is our life, realize that our mind is to be like Christ's. Our mind is to be like Jesus mind after he says this let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others he says this have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus and then he goes on to describe how though he was in very nature god he took on the form of a servant and he served even to the point of dying a death on a cross so that we might live though he has absolute incredible power he chooses humility and chooses to serve now think about it god is unrestrained in his ability to do or accomplish anything right you know people say can you make a rock so big you can't pick it up you know what the answer is to that the answer is he can make one big enough to smash you no that's not the right answer The right answer is, he can do anything, but he can't do things that are not logically possible. Anyway, it's more fun to say that he can smash you with a rock. Why, Why would the most perfect and most powerful being choose humility and service? Why would he do that? I would argue this. He does it because it's the best thing that can be done. I mean, think about it. When, when, when the kings and queens of the earth, you know, whether whether they're uh, the the queen of England or Beyonce or whoever, you know, like the most powerful people in the world. Beyonce's as contemporary as I can get right now. I can't think of somebody else. <laughs> The most powerful people have an army of people serving them. That's what being at the top means. That people serve you. But the one who is the most powerful chooses instead to serve. He doesn't embrace humility. He doesn't temporarily take on humility. No, he is humble. That's his nature. He Brings humility into his actions and takes on the form of a servant and goes to the cross to die. But he does this because this is who he is and this is the way that he is. And we are supposed to imitate him and to have his mind. We're not supposed to hate ourselves or to think less of ourselves or to like try to harm ourselves by sacrificing you know like and, and to say like oh i'm not worthy i'm i'm horrible i'm this i'm that and therefore i serve no we serve because the lord who is worthy and who is excellent and pure and and amazing and powerful and good that is what he did and so we're not locking ourselves into some kind of, of torment or punishment when we become Christians. We find that we have to be humble. No, we're imitating our leader and following his example because it is the best thing that we can do. And so Paul says that Christ is to be our mind. We will, we will do this imperfectly. We will struggle. We'll battle with Christ. With, with with this mindset. So you might be thinking like, I can't do it. I can't live up to it. Well, first of all, I'd say this. You are righteous in Christ. And that is good news. And therefore, you can go to bed today and say, there were times when I wasn't humble. And you can wake up tomorrow and say, here's another opportunity to try. And to live that way. God is pleased with our energy and our efforts when they are motivated by our desire to honor him and to love him. We should throw away the idea that we're going to try to earn it or purchase it for ourselves. And so we embrace humility out of of joy and thanksgiving and not to earn God's favor or earn points in his sight. First, Christ is our life. Second, he is to be our mind. Third, Christ is to be our goal. The goal of Paul's life, as he states it in verse 10, is that I might know him that I might know him. And so here he focuses the believers in the city of Philippi on the idea that, that they are to look to Christ and say to be like him and to know him and to imitate him, that is my goal. This is incredibly difficult, I think, because we live in the greatest time that has ever been in human existence. There are so many distractions. I mean, think about it. Like 20 years ago, in order to talk to someone or to, to talk to my wife, I'd have to go to a, a piece of, of, of plastic and wires, and I'd have to pick up the, the handle and put it to my ear. It was connected to the wall, and it, like I had to remember a number. Now I can pull out this piece of plastic and glass and say, call Nancy, and my phone will call my wife. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And I can be driving. Like, I don't, I don't need to have quarters. I don't need have anything. Like, it's amazing what we've got, you know? And, and then there's, like, Farmville and, um, like, Candy Crush and all this other stuff here on our phones. And we can fly anywhere, you know? We can watch anything. We, can, we are so in danger of being constantly entertained we live in a time of amazing medical care it's incredibly safe to live right now as a human being just in general you know cars are safer products are safer our food is pretty good you know comparatively speaking from a hundred years ago it's amazing what's going on in the world we can become content and focused on that, on living a good life and dialing in everything, our diet and our health and our vacation and our time and all this stuff. We can be so focused on the dials that we, we leave our spiritual focus. We leave connection with God and the journey of growing into the image of Christ. We leave that completely and utterly untouched. Paul describes the fact that when he came to Christ, he lost everything. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Everything was taken and torn away from him when he came to Christ. To, to follow Jesus meant to leave the synagogue and his Jewish heritage behind because they they rejected Jesus. the the truth about Messiah. And he says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. Here again is the good news. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now listen, this is important. Christ is to be our goal. We're to to desire to be shaped and remade, and refined through difficulty and through uh, temptation and through just all of our circumstances, we're to be shaped over and over again to look like Jesus. Sometimes this will mean pain if we have to learn the hard way, right? And sometimes this will mean that we just catch a lesson and we learn it and we put it into practice. Sometimes it will mean that there will be suffering that will come upon us For absolutely no discernible reason at all. No fault of our own. Not because we made a mistake. Think about this. Paul says he wants to imitate Christ and Jesus suffered due to no fault of his own. He was completely and utterly righteous when he went to the cross and he suffered according to the will of God, the Bible says. And there are times when we will go through difficulty, not because we've done something wrong, but just because we need to leave something behind and depend more fully on God. Paul says that he wants to know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Man, that's like hardcore Christianity, right? Paul is so much better than me. He's arrived. He has attained it, right? We think, I'm not a good Christian. God probably doesn't love me the way that he loves others. We just, we, we, we think like that. But look at what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained it, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Christ is his goal, and he wants to always... Be challenged and be pressing forward to make Christ's likeness his own. Why? To earn God's affection or to be good enough? No, remember, that's been done, that's been handled. Christ is his life. He says this not that I've already obtained it, this is verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's what we do. He reaches to us and gives us what we need. And then he says, I want you to to live this way and to pursue me. And we say, I'm going to do that. That's great. Thank you for what you've given to me. Reminding us again, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus has made me his own, therefore I seek to make him my own. I seek to take on all that I can of his character and his behavior and his way. I want to be like him. And it's going to take my whole life to be like that. But he is my goal. And everything that gets in the way of that needs to go. That's hard stuff, folks. This is not easy. But it's true. Christ is our mind. Christ is our goal. Christ is to be our life. And then fourth And finally, Christ is the believer's strength. As Paul brings it all to a close, the key thought is the enabling power of Christ. He says to (coughs) the Philippians in chapter 4 that he's thankful to them that they revived their concern for me. This is Paul's polite way of saying thank you. You took up a collection. I was in need. You sent me some, some ministry funding and I have what I need. Thank you so much for doing that. He says, you, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And then he says, wait a minute, I'm not talking about about being in need. I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I needed you to help me though. I'm thankful for your help, but he says, I've learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. He's like, I, 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 know, I know how to make it with nothing, and I know how to handle receiving a blessing. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is his attitude and his focus. Why is he able to do this? Is it because of some new age kind of thinking where he's just like, I, I, I believe it is so and I transcend. You know, some people, some people say you need to have a, a mind that's like water, right? You know, it's like a pond. You throw a big rock in a pond, you know what happens? It, it goes in and there's some waves and then it flattens out and it's peaceful again. And that's the way. You just need to roll with it. Roll with the punches, right? That's kind of crazy. If there's nothing backing it up, you know what I mean? If it's just like I just kind of roll with things, you know, eventually they will roll over you unless there's somebody behind the control panel of the universe making sure that you are safe and okay. You know, you can't just roll with every circumstance unless the one who is in control is for you. Unless he loves you unless he is willing to extend to help you and this is what paul says he says i've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him who strengthens me I think that one of the most important discoveries that I have ever made in personal Bible study, I can remember reading the book of Ephesians over and over back when, when I was preaching through it a number of years ago. And I ran across Ephesians 6.10 that says, Be strong in the Lord. And I remember thinking so often, like, I just fail, and I am weak, and I'm not strong in the Lord. And it was like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking some kind of weightlifting analogy, you know, like rocky. You know, like got to go and punch raw meat or something, you know, frozen and get stronger. Be strong in the Lord. And then reading it over and over again, I discovered it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in God's strength, right? At the time, I recall that uh, Hank had, had gone out with, I think, his grandparents and, and gone to Toys R Us, which no longer exists. That makes me sad. Um, and, and he had bought some things, and he came home with this little tiny um, uh, punching bag. It was little, it didn't weigh anything, you know, like you hit it, it just didn't go flying away. And so, you know, the punching bag immediately gets discarded, but the gloves stay, you know, running around the house with this, like punching everything. You know? like, dodging hank he's running through wailing and punching everyone you know um now it was a nuisance you know but it's not like the kid is hurting me with his spongebob square pants boxing gloves that he had at the time you know he's just running around and all the kids are like you know get him away from me small hands boxing gloves weak hands right if it depends on me, if it's my strength, then the Christian life is going to be weak. Because we acknowledge that we are spiritually weak. But, now, imagine if I'd taken those gloves, right, off of Hank, and I put them on Manny Pacquiao, right? Who, he's like the well, yeah, they wouldn't fit, okay. <laughs> Gotta work with me here, kid. Um, you put them on, on a, a prize fighter, right? Now all of a sudden it's a different story. Now they're intimidating. Now I'm terrified of SpongeBob, SquarePants, <laughs> Boxing Gloves. You know? Because of what fills them, because of what's in them. When we think about living the Christian life on our own, it is impossible. It is impossible to do the things that God calls us to do and to live the way that God calls us to live and to embrace the suffering that may come into our life and to treat others who are not going to treat us properly or reciprocate the way that we treat them. It is is impossibly difficult to live this way. But if God supplies his own strength, if he enables us to do it, and there's power there. And that ought to shift our perspective. We, as believers, have to embrace this truth, this idea that God's Word is true. And that, that's basic. We're like, yeah, God's word is, is, is true. I believe that. There's no errors here. I believe that everything the Bible talks about is, is, is real. But we need to believe that it's true for us in our circumstances. We need to believe that it's true for us in times of difficulty. And we need to believe that it's true for us in, in times of success. And that when we drift or we encounter challenges that we're able to, to say, okay, Lord, how am I supposed to think? Shift my perspective when we say, okay, I need, to, I need to refocus on the fact that Christ is my life. I need to refocus on the fact that I'm to embrace his mind and embrace humility. I need to refocus on the fact that that he is my goal, that my goal is to conform to his life and not what some blogger says or some financial guru or the, you know, whatever like perfect living series that we're being exposed to on instagram or netflix or whatever you know whatever philosophy is out there we're to conform to christ first and foremost and then we believe this that by faith as difficult as it seems to live this way that if we look to god and we say help me do this, empower me, strengthen me, enable me, he will say yes. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we're going to go back and we're going to dig in over the next couple of weeks, but this is the great encouragement, or this is my, my great hope, that as a church that will be stretched and we will grow as as we see, it's not what we do that defines who we are. It's what Christ has done for us that enables us to obey and to follow through. That will escape from guilt and and, and toxic just self-affliction and saying you know what i'm not good enough all the time and instead say god is so good he has been kind and amazing and that transforms all that i do and then in the midst of, of an extremely tense frustrating sad morally disappointing time in our culture what is going on in new york like whoa where do we live how did, how, did we, how did the last 15 years entirely change the soul and the thinking of our country? You know what? It, it matters. It matters. But it doesn't change our ability to live the Christian life. It doesn't change our mission. It doesn't change God's goodness. Instead, it enables us to see that we live in a fallen world. How can we live pure, God-pleasing lives in a fallen world. This is how. We remember the fact that Christ is our life, that he is our mind, he is our goal, and he is our strength, and he will empower us. And so we continue to trust him and to walk forward in faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that, that we would have your eyes as we look at the world, that we would know that Christ is our life, that we put our faith and trust in him for our righteousness. I pray that, that we would retrain our minds, and instead of focusing on what we can get and what we can gain and on pleasing ourselves, instead that we would say that we are here to serve others. And I pray that, that we would see our goal as to press in to become more and more like Christ. A journey that will never be over, but one that we should joyfully embrace because of the goodness and the kindness that you've shown to us. And Lord, it may be difficult. There may be challenges on the way. There will be challenges. But we can overcome them because you have given us and will give us your strength. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing and your encouragement. We ask you to keep these truths first and foremost in our minds as we, we go out and we live our lives and as we study your word. We pray that, that we would rise above our challenges because you have given us the ability to in your Son, we thank you for Jesus and for your kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.